0: Hello again, everybody. Tom and Keith with you as we welcome you to the front row. We've got a terrific show today. We are going to take a stroll down memory lane with a guy that's been covering Florida State so long that he was almost on the job when Keith was still wearing a uniform. For He's office. that old. He's that old. Talking Which about... means we're going to be in and out real quick. Exactly. Because uh, Tom D'Angelo from the Palm Beach Post, the dean of beat writers for Florida State, will join us, share some of his uh, perspective, insight on both historical Florida State footnotes, if you will, and also covering Jimbo. He has as good a relationship as anybody uh, on the beat.
1: Plus, he's just a genuinely good guy.
0: Exactly. Then Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider, will join us. Tim predicts big and bold things for Florida State in We're going to see if we can get him to predict Yeah, we're going to try to pin him down. He's trying to play lawyer with us, but uh, we'll see if we can get him he's to actually make, up. make some predictions here. I, I do want to uh, just take a moment to say that uh, not just this portion of the program, but, in fact, the entire program uh, made part – Because of Madison Social made possible in part of Madison social. I didn't say that very well. We got to get you a cue card. We do. We do. Or, and, and maybe a stage manager too. When, when this show evolves to that level, Hair top.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's an inside joke and a good one on the flashback there. Uh, Madison social Tallahassee's uh, best bar in 2014 and 2015. I'm sure they'll just retire the award after they win it again. This is, year. Name
1: the award after
0: them. Yeah, exactly. But uh, big things coming uh, for Madison social this fall. Also right across the street, they've got some new ventures that are opening up in, in part of college town. Uh, which you guys will learn uh, much more about in coming weeks. All right, you'll learn much more about Tom D'Angelo's memory and Florida State football when we continue right after this on the front row. Welcome back to the Front Row. Tom and Keith with you. KJ, I like to think of you and I as resident experts on Florida State, but uh, our next guest I think probably qualifies even more so, or at least to the same degree, because he's been around covering FSU since almost when you were a player. Well,
1: well, there are two things before we introduce him. Number one, he's not as old as I am, so don't put that into context because he did not cover me. But he's so old that you were still in kindergarten when he started covering (laughs)
0: Or state athletics. Well, <laughs> if we say many more things, he'll hang up the phone line now. Let's welcome Tom D'Angelo from the Palm Beach Post to the program. Tom, how are you? I'm doing great. I don't know about that, Keith. Uh, we're we're pretty close. Uh, well, you, uh, you, you may your have. bio your bio says eighty three. Is that the first year I've you covered got, FSU? I yes, the first year I covered a
2: game up there was actually eighty two. Okay. I started in Palm Beach in eighty one. I graduated college in eighty one. So, uh, actually, my college graduating year would have been technically 80. I graduated high school in 76. So, yeah, I think I'm a little bit – college year was 78,
1: Keith? Uh, 77 to 80 for me. Yep.
2: Okay, you know what? We're probably the same age. <laughs> yeah, my college my college graduation technically should have been 80. I graduated college in 81, and I, I – yeah, my first – and I I got to go back and look and check this up because people uh, – check this out. People always ask me, I'm not sure exactly what game was the first game I was ever up there. Uh, but it was, I believe it was 82. And then um, I just, you know, it wasn't as a regular beat writer. I wasn't at every game until basically, you know, in the 80s, I, I covered a lot of Miami. And I was a Miami beat writer for a long time, for many years in the 80s. And then I, and then around 1990, I started covering Florida State full-time. But I was covering games throughout that whole time. From 82 to, to now, all but about five years, I, I covered at least one or two games a year, and many of those every game.
0: Well, and that's that's why I wanted to bring you on, because you have an awful lot of historical perspective, especially in an era where beat writers are sort of a foreign term. Uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, I mean, you're the last one standing, I guess, for Florida State, really. Everybody right. else is more of a stringer and entrenched. Well, I guess the Orlando Sentinel has Brendan on uh, right. the team, but not anybody with your longevity. And, and digesting that you covered Miami in the 80s and Florida State in the 90s, that that's a pretty good run as a college football beat writer, covering those two programs for those 20 years.
2: I'll tell you the games that I can look back on when you people you know when people ask me you know, name some of the great college games you know I I covered them, the Miami Nebraska game with the first Miami National Championship um, nothing like those Miami Florida State games uh you know the one that stands out is 27 26 28 27 27 26 in Tallahassee uh the the, the Miami win but I mean, you just go down the list. Miami's games against Notre Dame in the '80s, and against Michigan, and Florida State against Michigan, and and uh, you know the national championship game in the, in the um, for all, all Miami's national championship games, and then Florida State. Well, uh, it, it's it's a great, great. It was a great, great. It's still it now. Started the era. It started football what it is now in the state. You know what it's become. That you know when you look back, that's it. That's the start of it that, that, for the state of Florida. The '80s was just the the beginning of this era that it continues to go.
1: And Tom, we'll get into some other things, but one of my first questions is those are the games. What about the, what about the players? I mean, you've got players that are now in the professional uh, NFL hall of fame. Uh, What, what are two or three of the kids, Miami or Florida state, that you had an opportunity to, to, to talk to, that stand out over that time span?
2: Well, one, we'll we'll first start with Miami. Um, Two guys that stand out. I, I got to know, uh, Vinny tested really well. I remember going to New York before the Heisman Trophy. Going to his, I remember sitting in his parents' home, and oh man, I, I, they lived on Long Island. I know that. I forget the, the town, and sitting in their basement and with his dad about two or three re- beat writers uh, the, the Thursday before the Heisman Trophy ceremony. And back then, it was it was '86. He, he wasn't Heisman. Back then, we were able to actually stand in the room. When the Heisman Trophy presentation, when the Heisman, when the presentation was announced, when the winner was announced, we were in the room in in New York. Uh, you could see you could see along the wall the writers. Nowadays, you're like three blocks away in another hotel, I think, and they bring them in, in, in your um, and they just have everything, you know, everything is goes on in kind of a media room that's well away from where the actual presentation is made and what you see on television. Um, but uh, you know, Vinny was a really interesting guy. Michael Irvin and that that, that crew of Miami guys, the, the just the outrageousness, uh, you know, it was like it was they would that whole era of Miami they. They'd tell you, you know, they'd, they'd they'd tell you you're gonna they're gonna kick your butt before the game, and then go out and do it. Every opponent. I mean, it was zero. You know, sixty three to nothing. You know, 20, 20, twenty-eight to two, or some crazy scores, and and they were just so dominant, um, and they were so. And, and, and we know what it was like. I mean, they were a, a bunch of guys, and there weren't a lot of rules back then, <laughs> and, and they got away with they could get away with. Uh, and, and they were just characters: George Myra Jr. and, and you know Michael Irving. That that whole group. Um, the, the Florida State group, of course. You know, uh, I, I I covered Charlie before. I, I actually was not at their first national championship against Nebraska. I was covering the Miami Heat that year, but I, I did early in his in his career. Um, you know, and, and that's you, you just saw the makings of a, an athlete like I've never seen. I mean, I know there's been guys around like the. Like the uh, Bo Jacksons and Herschel Walkers and whatever, but but if I'm going to say in my career an athlete, because then I covered Charlie a lot in the NBA, I covered the Heat. My only my only kind of uh, my time away from Florida State was I was covering the Miami Heat in the late '90s, and that was when the Heat and the Knicks. I covered every single Heat and Knicks playoff game throughout those four years, and that was the height of Charlie's career. Um, so I saw him. I saw him at that, his that, that best on both platforms and. I, I that's a I don't think I'll ever see you know in, in our lifetime we may never see another guy who was as as great an athlete as Charlie was
0: you know the irony of you mentioning that playoff series is that the only time I can ever think of controversy associated with Charlie Ward was mm-hmm. that fight was was during that playoff series and did he undercut whoever it was uh, at one point? Brown, yeah, I, I, believe
2: <laughs> I believe he did. I believe he did. He's not a bad. He's, we know what type. We know his character. We know what a great person he was. But you know we know what these guys are like on the on the court or on the field and. and in this sport and the, in the competitiveness and and their desire. And, you know, it takes, it takes a special competitiveness, a special desire and, and will and want to win, uh, to be as great as they are. And, um, yeah, I believe it happened. That was, that was a, uh, that was probably when I look back and cover an NBA, there was nothing like that series. It was, uh, it was unbelievable. You know, that he were able to come back because of that fight that was started when Charlie took out PJ ward and all those suspensions that, covered over three games and Patrick Ewing and half half the Knicks team was suspended over a period of the next two games that allowed Miami to come back and win the series.
0: Yeah. They had to split it up. Otherwise they couldn't have yeah. fielded a team that, uh, uh, yeah. you know, bringing it back to, to, to college football specifically, I'm just thinking of the coaches. So 83 Miami, I mean, you started with Howard well, Schnellenberger and then you went yeah. through the Jimmy Johnson years. Uh, you may have been covering FSU by the time Dennis Erickson was there. And then you had predomin- no, I, predominantly I, 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 Bobby here.
2: Yes. Yes. I, I got to know, out of all of them, I got to know uh, Jimmy and, and Dennis at, at Miami. Jimmy and Dennis very well. Um, I got to know Butch Davis a lot as a, um, as, a as an assistant because he, he recruited Palm Beach County, and I did I did some stories with him in recruiting. But I'll tell you one story. I remember I remember Jimmy in his you know his first year was really rough. That was the year they they lost all those leads at the end of the game. That was the Flutie year, and um, you know he had a, he had a tough time. No, I think they lost five games. Uh, and I remember him coming up to. I remember covering him at a Palm Beach County kind of a like Jimbo does in May, a booster tour type thing. And and I remember him pulling me aside and saying, "Why? Why doesn't anyone like me?" <laughs> and this was his first year. And this was, I think, between his first and second year in, my, in Miami. Um, it, and, it, and it was uh, to think back now. I mean, what uh, the, the success the success he had and and the type of coach he is and you know at all levels of Super Bowls, the national championships, for him to even you know, that, that was even on his mind at that point and that's how rough a start he had. But um and, and I got to know him very well and then Dennis I'll lever the one thing I know down on a personal note when my, my my dad passed away when I was covering Miami, uh when Dennis was a coach, and it was in January and, you know, I, I, I Somebody told their sports information people. I knew them. I, you know, just someone let them know, and and I got to the funeral up in the Boston area, and there was a there were flowers there from Dennis Erickson, and I was blown away. I, you know, I didn't even know he knew, and never mind would would think you know would would do that. So I, I really um, I really have a lot of respect for him. I know he went through a tough time. And I know the things that happened there, but but the Jimmy and Dennis, and then of course, <laughs> there's nobody in my entire career like Bobby. I mean, you will never find. Uh, it, it's just you, you, we could we could have 10 shows about bobby and the things and the and the uh just the, the type of person he is and uh, you, you'll never well, as you all know we'll never we'll never have another coach like him but you've never on a personal level you've never got a, guy, a person a coach who has as close to a person you know you, you 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 uh you cover these people as players and coaches and it's they're at a, some, you get a feeling, you know, there's not a connection where a lot of them, Different, you know, Jimbo and I have a kind of a good relationship, a very good relationship, so I get that connection with him, but with Bobby, it was unbelievable because Bobby was just, uh, you know, it is it, just a, a different person and, and just one of the nicest, the nicest person I've ever met in
0: sports. We're, we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, your relationship with Jimbo in our next segment, but since you, you mentioned Bobby, and I realize you probably have a list that's uh, several notebooks deep, but is there a favorite Uh, anecdote, i.e., you needed a a quote at 4 in the morning and he answered his phone and gave it to you, or uh, just the best quote that you remember him giving you?
2: Well, my favorite Bobby stories are always after the – and and this is the case in sports, and you guys know this. A lot of these people are better after they lose, better when things are not going as well. And Bobby, after those Miami games, after all the wides, right, left, (laughs) uh was unbelievable and, and I know people you know who covered Miami and didn't weren't around him all the time would walk away from situations like that and say wow because they covered people who were just not good to talk to uh you know they're just kind of just could be jerks after a game like that especially losing the way he lost but I think it's the famous quote and he, and he said it and a lot of these things sometimes become legend and they really didn't happen but he said it, you know, and and when he dies on his tombstone, when I die on my tombstone, it's going to say, and he couldn't beat Miami, and I, I just I can see him saying it. I can still see him saying it. And if I thought, I'm sure there's uh, there's others. I I know this. is the, the Sugar Bowl, um, the famous Janikowski quote, international and, uh, international roles. international rules. In yeah, after after the uh, where he was curfew, right. Um, and then there's the well, it wasn't Bobby. It was actually Peter Warren. <laughs> I didn't shoot. I, it wasn't. It's not like I shot the president. Um, but it wasn't the Bobby era. So and, and, you know, but but that was the thing. You know, Bobby Bobby allowed these players to be players, and a lot of them were going to make mistakes and things they said. But I think, and, and I, and that's what I really appreciated about him, as opposed to a lot of other people, and especially now, it's everything's locked down so much. He allowed these these players to they were going to make mistakes and things they said, but you know, they're going to learn from it. And and I think it's it, it, probably it, when I, when I think about it, the worst thing that came of it, the worst thing that came of all these guys being able to be who they are was that Peter War quote. And, and, you know, and in the end, so what, you know, I mean, it was funny. I mean, yeah, he shouldn't have said it. And they got, they got probably got ripped for it. And I don't even remember now, but I'm sure there's a lot of criticism over it. How can he say that? But, 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 you know, he didn't hurt anybody in the end. And, and, and I think I think it, it 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 goes a long way for helping these kids. Um, uh, Adds to their experience, and it, and, it, and for for a lot of them, or for for the ones that do go on, they're much more prepared going to the next level and having to deal more with the media when they're able to do that. As opposed to someone I covered was Alonzo Mourning, who when he played in college, John Thompson, you know, I mean, he just built a wall between his players and the media, and and, and basically got his players to just hate them and there was no respect between the two and 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 that that does not help these guys <clears throat> these players when they go to when they have to leave and they're out on their own and alonzo was a guy and you, know, you could tell he was he was a not a great guy he was really a jerk when we first started covering him but he came along he's a great guy now and i've even talked to him about how you know he's probably the guy out of all the people i've covered in my career that's come the longest way of going turning it going from one right. to another going from and being a good guy, and I and I think that that didn't happen. you know Florida State; those guys got that experience. Yeah,
0: that's that's really good perspective, Tom. Let's take a quick break, and then I want to ask you about Jimbo. Who, and, and I'll ask you when we come back. He's he probably falls somewhere between Bobby and John Thompson on that <laughs> on that wall, no wall scenario you just detailed. We'll continue on yes. the front row right after this. <laughs> Keith, back with you on the front row. We are reliving some great stories from the uh, past, really, three decades of Florida State football and college football as a whole. We're talking with Tom D'Angelo, who's been on the FSU beat for quite some time uh, of the Palm Beach Post. Tom, uh, before the break, you mentioned John Thompson's philosophy with media compared to Bobby's, which is complete polar opposite. Uh, You have a really good relationship with Jimbo. So where does he fall in that spectrum, and how have you seen him evolve since he's become a head coach?
2: Well, I, I, I think Jimbo is very much like what we have around the country. Now The difference is though, for those of us who've been around Florida state, like you guys and myself for a long time, it's so the, the access was so unprecedented under Bobby. It's all for us. It's like a lockdown. <laughs> and really it's about what it's like. In fact, it's a little better. I know, I know people who cover Florida don't have access to as many players as, as the Florida state writers do, but, but yet we're always complaining. We don't have enough. So, um, Jimbo is uh, Jimbo. Can, Jimbo knows how to control a story. Well, we all know Jimbo learned under Nick Saban, and the, the one thing, the one thing that bothers me, I even mentioned it to him, and I know the the reason the one voice thing, but I, I will never understand how these coaches. You, you can talk to the the, the eighteen, the, the actually you can't talk to them as true freshmen. So you can talk to the nineteen to twenty two year olds but we're not allowed to talk to the 50-year-old assistant coach, the 65-year-old assistant coach. It does—it just seems backwards. It, it, it doesn't make sense that these the assistant coaches would uh, is, uh, such great resources to my career, like with, covering Florida State when Bobby was around for stories, and they do nothing, and never once did I ever write anything in an assistant coach that a, got trouble over, or you know, they do nothing but help a kid when you're doing, no one knows a player better than his position coach. Uh, but that's you know Jimbo's philosophy something about lot many coaches do it that way other coaches do just the just the uh coordinators and what's funny is when you know when Jimbo was an offensive coordinator you know Bobby had I remember we had a half an hour with Jimbo and Mickey every Monday you know so he he knew as an offensive coordinator what good he could do talking to the media but but that's that's you know that's that's the way he is that's the one thing I wish would change um but I know I mean it's funny you listen to Jimbo's Monday press conference every year and, and And he knows exactly who he can turn the story to. He starts talking about a player that he wants. Maybe he just wants to throw the player a bone. He wants to get the player a little, uh, get something written about the player. The player's worked hard, you know, wants to get a story. He starts talking about a player, getting into it. People start asking questions, and all of a sudden, all the stories are going to go that way because later on in the day, that's the player he's going to make available. And, you know, they, they the smart Coaches can do this; they can manip- manipulate the stories. Um, but uh, you know, and, and that—that's that, not a bad thing. Always, I mean, you know, we get a story we hadn't had. And he gives us a little background on, on a guy, and we get to talk to him later that day. That—that's a good thing. Um, and it's not like we don't get other players. We we do get very good players. And and, and he's going to uh, he's he's going to limit it to the players he knows are not going to make a mistake out there talking to us. Tom,
1: let's and, go. And let's the, go a little more. more let's a little more personal. Let, let's talk mm-hmm. about you you and Jimbo. You, mm-hmm. you've made two trips that i'm aware of uh, the first right. one uh you went with him back to his stomping grounds in, in, in West Virginia i know of no other writer in Jimbo's era as a head coach that has taken someone back home with him tell us about that trip
2: well it was i i, I approached him last year at this after the spring game and i just said to him like you know I could go home every year for vacation and uh, yeah i said you know and then before i even got out of mouth he said he said, "You want to come back there? You know, because we had that kind of relationship." I said, That's, so "I was going to ask you." I said, I, "I don't want, you know, just a few hours." I said, "I'd love to ride around town with you and do a story in your hometown." And, and, and what made this What made this really uh, more compelling was the story of his dad. You know, I mean, it, it, it sometimes this just won't work with everybody. But that was a hometown with the coal mines and some of the coal mines being shut down, and and his dad having such a, a horrible accident that kept him out of work for three years having been in a coal coal mining accident and then actually led to his suffering a stroke at an early age in his early 60s so um i said you know just think about it i said we'll talk about it the next time i saw him at probably a booster tour thing or wherever i called him and and i told him what he said what do you want and i said i'd just like to drive around town with you talk to your mom go to your home talk to your mom and then we'll drive around town and and then it got to the point where we set it up, and he was home for about two weeks. So we had to work around a wedding he was going to, a family wedding, and all. And he actually was going to come home earlier, and he, and he stayed a couple of extra days. Knowing when I was, because I was coming up uh, when I was coming up, and, and we sent a videographer, a photographer. And I'll tell you, it was amazing because we spent about an hour and a half in, in their kitchen with him and his mom, and he he got would up for us. Uh, for the video portion of it, and you know, they were wonderful as always, and very talking about the, his dad and growing up. And then we got in the car and we drove around in Jimbo's rental car, and uh, we were out there about two, three hours. and I said, Jimbo, you've been great. I mean, I, I don't want to take you up the whole day. I said, whenever you want to go home, he goes, No, he goes, He said, You You made all this effort and spent, and spent all this money to come up here. He said, Whatever you want. Um, so we we just started, he just started finding play. He goes, Here, let me take you down this, uh, let me take you here. We found a he said to us at one point, "Do you want to see a coal mine?" Right? I said, "Yeah." And the one his dad worked at was shut down. He took us on about a forty-minute drive into the hill to the top of a coal mine where they had the conveyor belts. And knowing we just wanted to take pictures, uh, it was unbelievable. And They took us to a road after that where I thought we were going home, and we still went someplace else. We went to a road that his grandfather owned. This he owned this road in the hill where a bunch of houses were and his you know relatives grew up in. Um, it was it was a A great experience being. uh, I've been all over the country. I've never. I I had not been to West Virginia that often, and it just reminded me of you know uh, some of the old towns. My wife's from upstate New York. Uh, Some of the old towns in Massachusetts that I knew of were just just old town factories, and a lot of them, unfortunately, a lot of shuttered buildings. Uh, But it was. uh, He he was. I, I couldn't have asked for more.
1: Jimbo and I have had those conversations too. You may not be aware, you and I have not talked about it, but my family is from West Virginia. And in fact, my grandfather was killed in a coal mining accident.
2: Oh man, uh, I just don't know that. Just outside of
1: Bellevue, in uh, 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 Bluefield, rather, Bluefield, West Virginia. And Jimbo and I have talked about that a little bit, not not to any great length take that one step further uh all of our listeners are very well uh, aware of uh the challenges that ethan is going through and Mm -hmm. uh, the kids first fund and uh you you made an excursion with with jimbo and his family along with ethan up to minnesota which which i I can only imagine was uh unbelievable
2: that was uh, as educational and uh, just like uh, wow as anything i've ever done in, in my career um that started with the same thing. Actually, it was the night of the uh, it was signing day uh, at the uh, auto museum. After that was over, I went up to him, I said, I said, you know, that story last year was so well received and people loved it and they loved seeing the personal side of you know people like Jimbo and coaches and players and celebrities. Uh, I said, I'd like to do something else. Uh, I said, what about doing something on, on I do something on Ethan and Fanconi anemia what he can go through? He goes, okay. I said, I said, look, I can do this two ways, and I do not want to be intrusive. So you just tell me what's the best way. I could do it by just making phone calls and talking to, you you know, talking to you. But as far as the people of Minnesota, I said, I, he told me they were going to Minnesota within a month or so. I said, or I could go with you. And I said, again, I, I, you you think about this. I don't want to be intrusive. But if if it worked out and I could talk to the doctors up there and see kind of maybe go to some of the, uh, Ethan's test he said like CC he said let me talk to Candy you know at that point he, he, Candy goes up with him now just this but uh, knows obviously they're divorced but in this thing they're united in this fight against Vanconi and Mimi and and she um, she goes with him each year she will be going with him to Ethan's Ethan's tests. so a few, a few weeks later I you know we uh, we get in touch on the phone and he says come on up and he actually invited me to go up on the uh, on the plane on the private plane I just couldn't get from west palm beach and to tallahassee and get up there it was just so much easier for me enough and again the photographer the same person alan Istone, a wonderful photographer videographer so we we flew up there met him and then we had a meeting the night before we, we were in the same hotel and we sat down with jimbo and candy and kind of go down to the ground rules and basically said um, whatever you need again you know and candy was a little apprehensive but it worked out fine you know some of the things we wanted to you know some of the areas we didn't want to get into and which we weren't going to and the and the things we were going to write about. And I said, and I promised them we we're going to write. You know, she said, you know, this is the first it's going to be the first story, uh, you know, post-divorce. I said, it, this isn't about your divorce. This is about it's about Ethan and about you guys and what you're doing to fight this fight and this enduring fight that's going to last for many years. And hopefully long after they're gone, Ethan will still be around long after all of us are gone. So. Um, but then I was in and I thought you know this is gonna be good I think this worked out good last, I didn't know exactly what we were gonna be able to do up there I was blown away we were in every step of the way that Jimbo and Candy and Ethan we were there when they drew blood when they put you know when they put a mask over his face to to put him out to do a bone marrow biopsy uh, you know they, they were uh, every, every single result that Jimbo and Candy got back I said uh, come you know, come here, Mr. and Mrs. Fisher. We want you to see this and uh, on, a, on a computer screen. And this is good, and this isn't that good. This is good. We were there, videoing and taking, taking pictures, listening to every word. In fact, there was at one point I I left I left the room for a second, and they were talking, and someone came out and said, Hey, I, you know, Candy wants you back in the room. She wants you to hear this because I thought, you know, at some point I'm saying I'm thinking, man, I, I got to give them some space because we were just around
1: them. You're, and, you're now the favorite
2: and, uncle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: You're now the favorite uncle.
2: <laughs> so, so uh, it was, um, and then I, you know, I, I the story came in a different parts. Jimbo later on, I, later on, I had to go in and talk to Jimbo, you know, by, by us, just the two of us. And I, and I told them there were two parts. Uh, one, I said, we're, we're obviously going to do a lot and this can help. This can help with uh, awareness on Fanconian anemia. And I will write about, about the great job you've done with Kids First Fund. And the, the fight Ethan is, and you guys are, are taking on. I said, but also I want to write about you in your personal life and how th- how this has affected you from the day you found out. There hasn't been a lot written about that. And then, you know, and then also uh, another layer of this is being divorced. So I said, okay. And we went back in the room, then he threw on me, and I had no idea this was coming. And he volunteered it that, you know, he almost quit when Ethan was diagnosed. He really seriously thought of quitting. And it was the spring after his first year. So he had, he had coached one year as a head coach. And uh, it wasn't until they really found out what it was all about and then they really realized that he's going to have a great care in Minnesota where they go, and the platform he's on could really help, could really help um, the awareness for Fanconi anemia. So, So obviously he stayed on. And, and then to think about that, when you think about that, and then to think about what he accomplished from that point, it's amazing. Two years later, he wins the national championship with, with, with this crisis, this never-ending, you know, everyday crisis in his family life. Um, and then, you know, and then he talked to him. Uh, difficulties he had last year after after his divorce was final and and, you know not seeing his kids every single day but but he praised candy for being and it was in my story uh that he's he's uh, he knows that they're in good hands when they're not with him because candy is a a great mom to them so it was uh it it, it was quite an experience
0: let let me ask you this because uh, you know he came close to quitting with the diagnosis and this is one of these uncomfortable questions that i don't know if you addressed or how it was in the ground rules but is there any idea – I mean, at some point, Ethan's going to need a bone marrow transplant. Yes. Uh, and I guess I'm wondering, I mean, if, if that's in a couple years, five years, I don't know, but th- that's potentially a time where Jimbo's going to have to step away from coaching. I would, well, Or consider way, I, it. Or consider it.
2: Yeah, I, I spoke to him about that. And I, I it's funny, I spoke about this after, you know, because the story said that that day is coming, and, and, and it's probably coming sooner rather than later. I, I asked him about that after. Actually, the stories were written and out. And when I, I asked him, I said, how do you think you're going to handle that? He's hoping, and, and, and I'm not sure, and this is very interesting. He, they're thinking that I, – I don't think the day that this happens, it's like, oh, man, uh, the blood levels are low. You need a you need a uh, bone marrow transplant today. I, I, what they're hoping to do – and I, I, in fact, I remember now, we were in Orlando, and I spoke to this. He said, we're hoping it's this time of year where I can go so it's not football season where – he has to have the bone marrow transplant candy will go to minnesota and, and she will be with him those take three four months where they have to stay up there you know we have a close friend who went through it was at moffett for like six for about six months they put you up in an apartment and candy will stay with ethan and jimbo will be able to go up on weekends it will you know as if it's if it's march or april or may or june or anything anytime before any you know where it's not the season he'd at least be able to go back and forth and that's their hope their hope that it that it's not something that they say you have to, it's September and you got to do it now. You know, then it will be really difficult for Jimbo. Um, if it's off season, then it'll be a lot more manageable for him and he'd be able to spend more time, obviously, uh, up there with them after he, when he's going through his recovery from the bone marrow transplant.
0: Tom, that's really good perspective. We'll, we'll stop this conversation here for now, but uh, we'll have you on on a future show because we, we could talk in, in a lot greater detail about other things that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just from your historical perspective of covering Florida State and also the relationship you've developed with Jimbo. So thank you so much for sharing that. It was great work, both those articles. If uh, listeners have not seen them, find them uh, via the Palm Beach Post website. And uh, we look forward to talking to you down the road, Tom. Tom, you're the best. Appreciate- thank you.
2: I appreciate it, guys. You thank you so much for having me on. It was great.
0: All right, you bet. Tom D'Angelo from the Palm Beach Post, and uh, we'll reflect on that a little bit more uh, coming up. But that is, or we could do so now. But I mean, that's as good a perspective as you're going to get. And I,
1: Tom, Tom, and Tom uh, are, are he is as good a relationship reporter as as has ever been in the state of Florida. In my opinion, he will just doggedly stay after something, not in an obnoxious. A negative kind of way. He's a wonderful human being. I've met his wife, D'Angelo's wife. Uh, we talk about his kids. Uh, he's just a kind-hearted person that is so dedicated to his job. Uh, he is a uh, head and shoulders above uh, nearly anyone I've ever come in contact with, in the on the journalistic
0: side of this thing we call sports, he's Tom's phenomenal, phenomenal guy, and a state historian too. Uh, by, by virtue of what you, you know, he covered the Heat in the early years. The Heat didn't come into existence until '88, and he was covering them for the for, in the '90s there. Uh, Howard Schnellenberger, when he put a wall around the city of Miami and started recruiting, and really turned Miami into what it is, uh, or what it was for a while. And you
1: should hear Coach Bowden talk about Tom D'Angelo. The the the, the, the uh, feeling is mutual. Coach
0: Coach Bowden is very high on Tom as well. All right, we'll step aside. Come back with uh, much more. Thanks for tuning in. This is the front row. Welcome back to the Front Row. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. We do this each and every Wednesday. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's time now to be joined by our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. So, as always, we say hello. How are you, sir?
3: I'm doing very well, Tom. How are you?
0: I'm doing I'm doing well, although we've reached the point of the calendar year. Are you surviving the 90-degree temperatures?
3: It's actually been, been okay, I think. Lots of air conditioning and, and, uh, and ice. But otherwise, you've know, been here long enough. You kind of know how to deal with it.
0: But I, I, it feels like the summers get longer, though, as the wait for football season drags on. So, obviously, in, in this year, while it's a good thing, ultimately, we have to wait all through opening weekend to be the last game of the opening weekend. See, I'm in favor. I think Florida State should go the other way and play one of those Thursday night games that kicks off the season. I mean, everybody complains about Thursday games. Let's play the first Thursday of the year so you get two days extra rest for your second game. I mean, what do you think? Can we, can we get a campaign for that one, Tim? Oh, I think that's a, that's a great idea.
3: And when you play on the Thursday or Friday of the first week of the season, you're not coming in on you know with short preparation or short rest because you've had all summer and all the fall camp to uh, prepare for it. So I wonder if that's something that Florida State would look into uh, in the future. You know, a lot of consternation from, from fans in from those midweek games. But if, if you know you have to play one, wouldn't it make more sense to try to push to be the, the in, in, in the first week of the season?
0: Well, and I'd even play that one on the road, honestly, because you get all fall camp and there's still the issues around the university center and how the guts of the university are in there. So you have to close school, basically, to play a home game then, and, and fall session would be in. Instead of playing Labor Day weekend, you're going to get up. If you're Florida State playing somebody, you're going to get eyeballs on, especially when people are starved for college football. They haven't seen it since January. You boys are just never satisfied, are you? No, we nope. aren't. No, we aren't. Are you satisfied, Keith?
1: I love Monday night, Labor Day night. I'm sorry that we have to play five days after that, but we invented that, if you'll remember. Florida well, State guided you know college say that football on Labor Day night.
3: Well, I should say, just because I like the idea of playing on a Thursday doesn't mean I, I don't like Labor Day. In fact, I think it's pretty great this year. Uh, I love the fact that Florida State's playing Ole Miss on a Monday. Uh, one, because I think it'll be fun. And two, I don't know if you've looked at week one of the college football schedule, but it's really, really great. And as you know, as awesome as it is to, to be around Florida State football and cover the team and go to all the games like we do, uh, sometimes the byproduct of that is that you miss out on some of the other marquee matchups across college football. Well, that will not be the case uh, this this time in, in, in week one. We'll get to see all those games on Saturday and even have a day off in between. Before... No, no,
1: we'll be watching Sunday night. We'll be watching Sunday night. Doesn't Notre Dame
0: play? Yeah, Notre Dame does play.
3: So there you go. So I really, from a, from a football fan's perspective, uh, I think it's great. I think it's great. If, once again, if you're a Florida State fan, you can watch all those games. Head down to Orlando on Saturday, uh, excuse me, Sunday. Get there in time to catch that Notre Dame game. Maybe have some fun on, on Monday before the the game that night. And it should be a you know a really good weekend. And the five day turnaround isn't great, especially now that they've announced that that game will be played at 12:30. Uh, but You know, something had to give, I guess, there sooner or later. It would have been nice to have that as a night game, but but sometimes those things are just sort of out of your control. And and all things considered, while it may not be ideal, I don't know that necessarily, you know, would affect Florida State's chances to beat Charleston Southern. I still think uh, they're in pretty good shape there.
0: Well, you know, Jimbo has been vocal about how unfair it is for the kids to play the Monday-Saturday thing. And he's even – I saw one article yesterday that was giving him negative backlash to the effect of, well, you had to think about that when you scheduled the Ole Miss game. But the reality is – TV drives everything, and the ACC comes to Florida State a lot more than the rest of the league and says, hey, can you play Monday that week, or how about we play Thursday? I mean, it's not like Duke and Georgia Tech and the others are being asked to play the Labor Day games, a great preponderance of times, compared to Florida State.
3: No, and deep down, do you really want them to be? I think, you know, there was a year, a couple years back, where I want to say it was like Miami and Maryland or something like that, which was fine, but... I think if you're going to have those games, those marquee primetime games, I think you want to be in them if you're Florida State. And are there some potential drawbacks to that, like having to play on short rest on, on a Saturday? Yeah, I understand that. But I think that the alternative, uh, it, it's not better. I would rather play a Monday game, a high-profile game against Ole Miss, which if you win it can give you a huge boost uh, going into the rest of your season, I, rather than not play that game unless somebody else get that exposure, get that type of early season buzz. Uh, I think it's a good thing for Florida State, even though there the, the are potential drawbacks.
0: Yeah, it should point out, by the way, that there are some years the way the calendar falls that you can get two bye weeks in the regular season, I think including 2018 when FSU is talking about playing a game in Jacksonville, maybe as an opener on Labor Day weekend. Uh, that would be a scenario where you could take that Saturday off, still get a bye week later on. So to me, those are the, that's the best-case scenario. All right, speaking of Ole Miss, Tim, we, we haven't done this. Jeff Cameron likes to do this basically every time he has a slow day, I think. Oh, let's go ahead and go through the schedule. But uh, So FSU, Ole Miss, Labor Day night, what do we got? Is that a W for FSU, Ole Miss, three first-round picks? What's happening there?
3: Yeah, I, I think Florida State can expect to win that game with the caveat that they have to get just solid quarterback play. I don't think anybody has to be great. But Given everything that Ole Miss lost, the fact that there's going to be, uh, there will certainly be Ole Miss fans there in the stadium, but I think they will be heavily slanted towards Florida State. Uh, first game for for both teams. First, first, uh, I guess, significant action for a lot of newcomers on both sides. But I think, uh, and which Florida, Florida State, State
1: quarterback to- will take that first snap at and which Florida State quarterback will take that first snap at Ole Miss?
3: Well, I, I've said pretty much since spring. that my opinion, and it's only my opinion, I don't have it from from Jimbo Fish or anything like that. But my opinion is that it will be DeAndre Francois, uh, given his uh, he sort of has the blend of a little bit of experience uh, and the talent uh, to, to kind of separate himself from from his other contenders in like Sean McGuire and Malik Henry. So that's my opinion. I, I reserve the right to change that opinion between now and Labor Day. But, but as of today uh, in the summer, that's kind of where I'm thinking it'll be
0: and therefore we disagree but moving along well i knew i could see the smirk (laughs) on keith's face you can't see it tim but i knew there was something there i I do think uh you know mixed in among all the Jimboisms, he has some pretty good lines now and then and one of them recently was when he was asked about who the quarterback are you going to defer to the quarterback with experience and he said i'm going to defer to the quarterback that gets us up and down the field the best that was a pretty good way to answer that question
3: absolutely but it's also kind of telling isn't it uh you know if he's He's kind of given all these opportunities to say, you know, he's given, given an out to, you know, like you say, defer to the senior or, or you know, I guess for itself, people, you know, give something to, to read between the lines. And like you said, when you do that, it when he, when he says that, and if you're going to try to read between those lines, it, it's almost hard not to think that it would be somebody like Francois, right?
0: Well, let's
1: just say one thing. I'm not playing poker against Jimbo. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, and then, hey, I don't mean to say that there's not a case to be made for the other guys, especially not Sean McGuire. Uh, again, as a fifth-year senior, I think a lot of people think has has earned the right to start the year as a starting quarterback, and and I don't necessarily think that that, that I would argue against that. Just uh, again, if you're asking me who I think is going to be under center on, on Labor Day, I, I would go with the. So after
0: hands-off. after week two, Florida State's two and zero, oh, correct? Yes. Yeah. All right. So then we get into the portion of the schedule, which I think is is going to be the most challenging. And I realize Clemson comes to town later on, and they've got the, the, the leading candidate uh, in the Heisman Trophy race, if you will, who's a tremendously talented quarterback. Uh, I think the slip-up potential for Florida State this year is in that Louisville-USF-North Carolina three-game stretch in the end of September. But I'll go to you, and we'll talk about Louisville first, who's a little bit beneath the radar when you talk about the ACC nationally because people talk about FSU and Clemson. So what's your thoughts on that game?
3: I thought when the schedule came out, I thought it could be – potentially one of the most difficult games on Florida State's schedule, and I, I still think that. Uh, I would also say that I think FSU caught just a little bit of a break with the fact that that game was scheduled for noon instead of 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock. I would have bet the farm that that would have been a night game. I expect Louisville to probably be in the top 20, right around the top 20 by the time that game happens, and it seemed like a pretty good time to, to have sort of a, a national, nationally televised ACC showcase game.
1: And not, inter- not to interrupt you, Tim, but to interrupt you, I believe that game will be an 11 o'clock kickoff because aren't they in the central time zone? Are they? I can't remember. I, we, we were there a couple months ago. Point, your point, I'm echoing your point, no, it's going to we- be an
0: early kickoff.
1: Right, right.
0: No, I, I think from when we stayed there two years ago, uh, we were one time zone over when we were stuck in the casino on the other side of the river. But I think Louisville is Eastern. E-
1: either way, Tim's point is very valid. That's an I, early kickoff. Early kickoffs and Papa Johns are a whole lot better than late kickoffs.
0: Well, except off. if you've already made plans because you have friends in Louisville to go to a bourbon festival on Friday, which is the case. I for don't. Somebody think sitting most, in this booth. I don't think most of the team. And then that will is a problem that. with the twelve noon. I not I mean, that's just a personal thing. I, I wanted to interject. I don't
1: think anybody on the team will be doing well, that. Hopefully, however, ho- hopefully not. All right. well, well, it'll be plenty
3: of time for Bourbon. But but I, I do think that, that it, noon kickoff, while it helps, I still think that's going to be a challenging game. I think Lamar Jackson, Louisville's quarterback, it, it might be I, – I he's no worse than the third or fourth best quarterback Florida State will see this season. It may be even higher than that. Uh, he seems like a rising star. And, and Louisville, you know, they it, – it, it, it's kind of misleading to see their record from last year. I think they finished 8-5. and five, But that's with the caveat that they started 0-3 with losses to Auburn. Uh, to Clemson and to Houston. And, and so, you know, we, we kind of know how that goes. They finished their season on a strong note. They beat Texas A&M in the bowl game, which is an encouraging sign. Uh, I think Florida State can expect to win that game, but but don't be surprised if it's one of the more difficult games of the season.
0: All right, so then we get USF, and I, w- I would agree with you on that. It's a tough – the good news there is if you stub your t- – toe. I mean, honestly, w- when you look at FSU and Clemson, uh, whoever wins that game, it's like winning two. It, you know, what's what's Jimbo's phrase for it? It's a, it's a double – Double, double whammy or, double, or yeah, something like that so the reality is you could slip against somebody other than clemson and still beat clemson still win the atlantic and have enough cachet nationally uh be high enough in the polls to still be in the playoff consideration all right they go to usf usf was resurgent last year uh i, I hope we don't play usf a whole lot in future years especially in tampa but what's your thoughts on this one
3: I, you know i thought that one kind of looked almost like a. I, I hate the term trap game but again coming off of the louisville game that you know USF, I thought, really by the end of last year, uh, it really seemed like they had some things going. They gave FSU a bit of a tough time uh, up in Tallahassee, but, but I also wonder, looking at that from, from the perspective, almost like that old Miss game, like, yeah, it's a road game, but but gosh, there's there's going to be so many Florida State fans there anyway, so many Florida State fans in the Tampa area. I don't think that playing on the road will present them with too big of a challenge. And and while, I, again, it w- wouldn't surprise me if, if USF maybe showed a few things, showed that that they were, you know, continue to be a program on the rise. When it just when it comes to overall depth and overall talent, it's hard for a team like that to compete. Well, here's there. the reason
1: why I like playing USF down there. Number one, it's in Raymond James. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry. Where's the national championship game? Right, right there. there. I like that.
0: Yeah. Let's go there twice. I, I agree with you. I agree. Let's let's go twice and stop in the Chick fil A Bowl along the way to playing that game again. All right, so then we get North Carolina for homecoming. North Carolina, among the Tar Heel faithful, will tell you that North Carolina's quarterback situation is going to be better this year than it was last year. I'm not sure I buy that, but they return an awful lot. What do you think about that for the Tar Heels on homecoming?
3: Yeah, I'm not sure I buy that either. Uh, it, it, it's kind of hard to say. It, it, it's hard to imagine losing everything that they lost and and being better than uh, than they were. But we said that about Florida State at times. It's uh, it, it's interesting. You, you kind of forget about North Carolina football with the way that the. Uh, the, the conference is set up, right? They haven't been to Tallahassee in six years. Florida State hasn't been up there in, in seven years. It almost feels kind of odd to know that they're that they're going to play here. So, uh, again, you know, it, 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 can North Carolina lose what they lost and still be good? Yeah, but you, you're, you're asking them. You know, they had a really great season last year, and they came really, really close to, to spoiling Clemson's dream season in the ACC championship game. I don't necessarily think that they're going to fall completely off the map, but I do think they'll take a step backward, and, and one of those steps backwards would probably be a loss. Uh, here in tallahassee
0: all right we got to speed up the pace here so we got fsu at miami a heisman uh candidate at quarterback and brad kaya for the canes do the knolls do it again
3: i think so i look, that's a situation where until miami shows they can beat Florida state i'm not going to believe that they can
1: by the way jimbo's 11 and 1 against uh, the gators and the hurricanes x-0 against miami don't forget that
0: wake forest is next i think we can skip that correct yep that's a scrimmage by week. I like our chances in the bye week. Florida State traditionally has played traditionally
1: pretty, played well. Traditionally in the played
0: pretty well in the bye week. Then you get Clemson at FSU. Wow. October twenty ninth. Inside word is College Game Day will be on campus that day. Not that that's an inside word. Honestly, that's probably an outside word too.
1: Or seems you making it up? Seems like a fairly safe choice.
0: It does. I'm waiting. Wait. We're, we're waiting. We're waiting, Tim. This is the point of the program where you predict a winner.
3: <laughs> at this point, I think it really matters uh, what kind of quarterback play is, is Florida State getting. Who is it? What are they doing with it? Uh, how are they playing? If if
1: if well, it, it will wins, be Francois is? by then, Tim.
3: Well, if, it, if it's Francois and if he if he's playing well, he's playing at the capabilities, and I think Florida State should be in good shape. Uh, if the quarterback position is still a little shaky, and Clemson has a big advantage there, then it'll be hard to go against Clemson. So, uh, But but seeing as, uh, as we're in Tallahassee and, and given the fact that it's, it's the middle of summer, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that DeAndre Francois is playing well and that Florida State plays well enough to beat something.
0: Excellent. So the Knolls unbeaten rolling in in November. Then we get NC State in lovely Raleigh at Carter-Finley.
3: Gosh, yeah, you know the way things go uh, at Carter-Finley. At least a, it's a weird... not a
0: Thursday night.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that just sounds great. Is, is the fair in town? Is the fair, fair in town?
1: Right? That's the second question.
3: Yeah, it's, a, it's a, you know, It always makes you wonder. Look, I, I don't. You know, I, I don't. I don't look at that game on the schedule and think that Florida State's going to lose it. But at the same time, given everything, all, all the history that, that that has happened to Florida State there, and, and not very much of it is good. The fact that it's coming right off of that Clemson game. Uh, if there were ever one that sort of made you nervous, I think that would be it.
0: So that was a win or a loss, Tim.
3: Do I do I have to call it right now?
1: That's part of the reason we're talking to you. You want the the deal?
0: I'll give you the easy way out, real quick. You're going to take FSU over BC and Syracuse, I know. So is FSU going to beat Florida at the end of the year? Yes. Okay. So what you're saying is you predict either 11 and one or 12 and 0 for this FSU team? If I'm hearing, I think
3: that's fair. It's you know, it kind of reminds you a little bit of, of of last season in that you didn't necessarily think that they were going to go undefeated, but when you went game by game across the schedule, with the exception of maybe that game at Clemson, there wasn't one you would absolutely pick them to lose,
1: you
0: know? You <laughs> wouldn't have picked Georgia Tech. I know that. Well, you know, it's funny. Sure, I sure. did expect that to end on a blocked field goal kick six return when we did this last you year. You told me, I think. Yeah. Uh, um, if you if you can prove that, I got a no, $100 no, bill. No, I will present you. I do remember thinking early on, uh, before we saw Georgia Tech's season go the way it did, that, that there's nothing fun about playing that Georgia Tech system
1: So you thought the block field goal thing would be reminiscent of fumble going into the end zone because you picked that one as well against Georgia
0: Tech a a few years ago. No, I did not. I did not. No, I had no premonitions about a block kick at the end. Okay. Matter of fact, as I've relayed on this show, I went and I was standing next to Monk Bonasort under the uprights that Aguayo was kicking at, and we had a whole conversation with these two kids behind us who were like, "Uh, we're going to do this again. Is your kicker any good? Oh, yeah, he's pretty good. Can he kick from here? Yeah, he can make it from here. Okay, we're going to lose again. Then that happens, and those same kids about jumped on my head to rush the field. So that's my last memory in Atlanta. By the that's way, a, that's a great one, huh? Yeah, it was a great one. I, I think we've come up with a new tagline for seminoles.com during the port this portion of the program Seminoles.com, there'll be plenty of time for bourbon. That was a direct quote when you referenced the Louisville game. What do you think? You think that'll uh, you think that'll work over there in your, in your office? Well, you know, given, uh, we'll given send my, that my,
3: to, my boss, to... Elliot, and some of his hobbies, I actually don't think he would mind that. He has maybe the, the most impressive bourbon collection I've ever seen in my life. So we could maybe be on to something there.
0: All right, so uh, I'll let you – I'll wiggle you off the hook, uh, and Keith and I will continue this conversation. But uh, So you like Florida State to have a good season that pretty much lives up to the hype, and, and based on what you're saying, I think you're expecting this to be a playoff year then for FSU?
3: I think it's definitely the goal. You know, I, wh- whether or not they make it, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. Weird things happen. But
0: Well, if they're 11-1 <laughs> and 1 or 12-0, and 0, are they going to lose the ACC championship game, Tim?
3: <laughs> fair, fair enough, fair enough. But, yes, I, I, I do think the playoff is absolutely uh, important. Uh,
0: well, what, what do you want me to say? <laughs> well, nobody's going to remember anyway, and should they stumble in October, we're not going to blame you and say this is Tim Linefeld's fault. Well, fine. In that oh. case, yeah, playoffs. Book it. All right, there we go. <laughs> It could really be, to Keith's point, and we'll wrap this segment up. It, it could be, a, you know, you start in Orlando, you're playing a game in Tampa, uh, you're playing a game in Miami, you could play a, a playoff game in Atlanta, which, by the way, aside from the result, really good game, really good organization with the Chick fil A Bowl, folks, good definitely, time. Definitely. Then you could finish down in Tampa. I mean, it could be a, a year to remember. I will say, though, that unlike 2013, 2013 kind of came out of nowhere from the standpoint that nobody expected Florida State to boat race people in 2013. This year, Amongst FSU folks I'm talking about, everybody has set their sights or set the bar in the college football playoff, which means it is going to be tough to live up to that. Did we lose Tim? We did lose Tim. We lost him. He's gone. Apparently, Elliot...
1: He said, book it, and he did a mic drop, and he's out of there. Elliot
0: called in as soon as we mentioned the new tagline for Seminoles.com. There'll be plenty of time for bourbon. I don't think that's actually the tagline there, but it is your source for Seminole Sports. <laughs> we'll come back and try to get back on the rails after this on the front row. All in all, it's just
3: You are listening to The Front Row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNradio.com. 9 Here's Tom and Keith
0: coming up next week on the show tim's going to predict the presidential election well it, it, it might be hillary it could be donald i don't know it depends on how the quarterback play develops <laughs> what else you got we're out of time aren't we <laughs> do we have time for bourbon <laughs> apparently we do <laughs> special thanks to tom d'angelo and uh tim lunafeld our seminars that we're giving you a hard time tim if, if you notice when you listen back keith and i really didn't make any predictions in that entire segment we put them all on your back and then made fun of you when you didn't make predictions which is a good But then you meet. got us with the uh, book it, mic drop, and out you went. And out you went, yeah. Uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again next week, hopefully, unless you took offense at what we've said since you haven't been uh, on the line. But, uh, Keith, I will talk to you then. <laughs> I look forward to it, uh, but I don't know what it's going to look like. Uh, who knows? All right, thanks for joining us on the front row. Yeah.
3: Live from the Dale Earnhardt Jr. Buick GMC Cadillac Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is 97.9 ESPN Radio, WTSM, Woodville, Thomasville, Tallahassee.